Well, good morning, church. It's great to see all of you on this beautiful New Year's Eve day. And I got to tell you, we got, we're, we got a good showing here today uh, because last year I preached and I think first service on New Year's Day, there was eight people like right there and that's it. Uh, so much better show out this morning. Good job, church. Proud of you for being here uh, and really closing out the year 2023 with your family of faith. What, what better place could you be right now? And you might be thinking your nice warm bed, but you're wrong. It's here. This is the place to be this morning. You know, this morning we're actually starting a brand new series in the book of the Psalms. Now, you may be thinking, well, there's 150 of them, so how are we going to do that? Uh, this is just a five-week series, uh, and we're going to touch on some of the, the big hitters, the big hitter Psalms, like Psalm 23, uh, but really it's an overview of the different types of Psalms that you will find. And so uh, today we're going to be doing our introductory Psalm, uh, and then we'll hit a Thanksgiving Psalm, we'll hit a lament Psalm, and so you'll kind of get a, a full scope of what the Psalms are all about uh, in the next five weeks. Uh, and to begin today, we need to go over our anchor verse for the series before we even uh, touch the text. And so let's see that on the screen, please. This is Psalm 100, verse 5. On your green connection card, there's that little tear off. Uh, we want you to tear that off. We want you to keep that, put it in your wallet, post it on your fridge so that you can look at this, memorize it, meditate on it because the words are true and they are life-giving. So, you know, we haven't done this in a while. Why don't we say this all together? Ready? Three, two, one. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Psalm 105. And so that's our anchor verse for this series. Uh, and today we are going to be in Psalm chapter one. So if you have your Bible, which it's church, have your Bible. If you don't, just grab one from around you somewhere. We've got some in the back as well. Turn to Psalm chapter 1. And as you turn there, let me pray over our time together in the Word. Father, we thank you. We praise you. I thank you that you have given us, that we are standing on, on the doorstep of a new year. And Lord, lots has happened in this past year. Highs and lows uh, great joys and, and deep darkness as well. Uh, and yet we give you praise because you reign above it all. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that you would protect this church um, from my ideas, from my opinions, from distraction, uh, from the enemy uh, contorting and twisting your word. Lord, I pray that your word is what would be preached this morning and that it is your word that would be received. So Lord, transform us. Use your word this morning to transform us from the inside out. Expose the parts of our hearts that, that are not in line with you. Expose the sin. Expose the disbelief. And Lord, I pray that you would make us more faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning through this text. So Lord, open our eyes to see and our ears to hear the glories of your revealed word. We love you. We devote this time to you. Teach us. We, we come under your authority right now. It's in Jesus' beautiful holy name we pray. Amen. Well, um, I got saved in the summer of 2011, uh, in between my junior and senior year of high school. 
Uh, and I had grown up in the church, knew all the right answers. You know, we used to play this game called Bible Baseball. You know, it's like first base was like really easy question, like who's the son of God? And then you would get to like, you know, if you wanted a home run, then it would be really hard. To, and I, you know, I could nail that. Like I grew up in church. I knew about the book, but I didn't know Jesus until the summer of 2011. That's when the Lord got a hold of my heart and really did some radical transformation uh, from that point on. Now, uh, I have what you might call a major personality flaw. Uh, And it's not that I'm a a dumb person, and you may disagree with that, and that's fine. Um, My personality flaw is that I am a lazy person. Uh, and, And that bore true Uh, in all of the years that led up to my salvation. Uh, And it bore true, especially in school. Like even in elementary school, like I was a poor student. I wanted to do the least amount of work and get the most minimal grade to pass, right? Uh, Going into high school, horrible freshman year. Matter of fact, my parents pulled me from my public school and put me in a different school where they thought maybe I would succeed, but the, they didn't realize the issue wasn't out here, it, w- it was in here. Uh, and so uh, basically flunked freshman year, sophomore, junior year, didn't get any better. Matter of fact, if, for all of you who know GPAs in here, I had a sub 2.0. That's like a D minus average, y'all. Like I was barely passing, didn't do my homework, hung out with the wrong people. I mean, I was just a met, you know, I would stay after school and do homework, but I was just watching like YouTube videos and going on Facebook. I, I mean, I was completely lazy. Like I was the guy you did not want in your group project, okay? Because I will take all of the credit but do none of the work. But then Jesus saved me. And, and he put it on my heart to go into ministry. I had always talked about going to college, but I looked at my GPA, I was like, I don't know if this is going to happen, God. <laughs> all of my top school choices, like I just knew like they would look at my application and laugh. And so uh, before my senior year started, uh, with the small list of schools that I felt might accept me, uh, I was faced with kind of a decision. I was at this fork in the road of my life where I could continue going down this path that I had always been on, this path of, of laziness, wh- which was ultimately a path of ruin. Uh, man, I, I think very few teachers liked me, <laughs> strained my relationship with my folks at home. I mean, it was just all bad for me because of this path that I had been walking down for my entire life. But now that I had met Jesus, I now had this second option that I found. And and so uh, I was faced at the start of my senior year of high school with these two paths. And the author of Psalm 1 presents you and I today with a great spiritual reality in just six short verses. That there are just two ways in which you can live. Just two. There are two roads down which you can walk, and there are no other options. There is the way of the wicked, and there is the way of the righteous. One road which leads to waste and to ruin, and the other which leads to happiness and flourishing. And what the author of the psalm, I think, does so well is he presents these two roads, these two ways of living as if you and I are at standing at this fork in the road, much like I was at my senior year of high school, right? He, he is standing and we're standing with him at, at the precipice of these two different paths, asking you and I, which road will you choose? 
And maybe this is the most fitting way to end the year 2023, as all of us stand on the precipice of a new year. And so here we all stand together, church, at the fork in the road of 2024, with the path that leads to life and the path that leads to ruin before you. And the psalmist is here to provoke the question out of us, which road will you choose? So turn with me, if you're not already there, Psalm chapter 1, and let's read together. I'm reading out of the ESV. Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree. Planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. But the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, uh, the book of the Psalms is... Uh, very different than most of the books that we read in the Bible. If you turn to the book of Genesis uh, and you read through it, we read it exactly the way that it was written. Somebody sat down uh, with with pen and paper and wrote down Genesis uh, 1 through 52. Uh, And then we went in when we put the Bible together uh, back in the 1500s um, and we added in the Uh, page numbers and the chapters and the verses so that we would know how to locate things within the Bible. But you take those numbers for chapter and verse out of the Bible and you have Genesis exactly the way that it was written. The Psalms are not so. The Psalms are a collection of works. And so they were, uh, the Psalms are songs that were meant to be sung by the people of God. So all throughout history, y'all, we have been a singing people. We have a singing faith. I don't know why that is, but we do. All the way back through the old covenant, the people of God have been singers. And so when Pastor Colin is up here leading worship, y'all should be singing because we have a singing faith. The Lord commands it of us. But the Psalms were spiritual songs that were meant to be sung by the people of God. And I guarantee there were more than 150 of them, but the person who collected the book of the Psalms picked 150 very intentionally. And then if you see at the top, right above uh, Psalm chapter one, you should see something that says book one. And there are within the book of the Psalms, five different books uh, that you go through. And this is meant to reflect the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And so it was with great intentionality that whoever collected the Psalms organized them in the way that they did. And it's make no mistake, Psalm chapter 1 is the first psalm on purpose. And the first word in the book of the Psalms is on purpose, and it's this word right here. Blessed. Now, in Hebrew, which is what the Psalms were written in, there were two different words that they would use, that we translate as blessed. The first one is the word Baruch, and it has a lot more phlegm in it because it's Hebrew, but I'm not going to do that to you this morning. 
and Baruch is, is a descriptive word. This person is Baruch. He is blessed. He is happy. Uh, the favor of the Lord is upon this person. But that is, and that, that's the normal word. That, that's the one that is prevalent throughout the Old Testament. But that's not this word. The word to begin the book of the Psalms is the word ashre, which again, more phlegm, just imagine that. And the word ashre is, is not just descriptive, it's actually exclamation. It means, oh, how happy. Look at how happy. Look at the blessedness of the man. And so it's not just describing a man, it's trying to draw us in. He says, oh, how happy is the man. And this should tickle our ears. He's calling us to see, to behold the happiness of a man. And this should really immediately draw us in because happiness is the one thing that people do all sorts of crazy stuff to attain. I mean, people get married to be made happy. And then they divorce that same person in the name of happiness. We accept a job to be happy, and then when it doesn't work out the way we thought, we leave that job in the name of happiness. I mean, we are just on a happiness grab. We're trying to find it anywhere we can. And most of the time, come up empty-handed, or at best, it's fleeting, and it doesn't last. And maybe looking back on 2023, I don't know if you journal, if you just take inventory, maybe later tonight, and you think through your year. I mean, maybe your year has just been gangbusters. I mean, everything's just been going well. Everything's been a blessing. And maybe it's just been an absolute bust. I mean, you're stretched thin. You're stressed out. I mean, you aren't ultimately happy. The goals that you thought would finally bring you that happiness that you've been searching for, it's like that new car, right? You get that new car, and it's like, oh, it smells so good in here. Like, I'm going to take care of this thing. I got wipes for my steering wheel. If my hands are greasy, so I can just, I can keep this thing in pristine condition. And then it's like a year later, and you're just throwing trash into your back seat. And Man, that stuff fades and ultimately leaves you wanting the next thing. And the psalm... Is what it's going to do, just based on this first word, blessed, ashray, look how happy. The author of this psalm is meaning to pull back the veil for us to see what true happiness looks like, the way to the good life. So he starts out, verse 1, blessed is the man who walks not. So he starts out in the negative, who walks not in the counsel or the advice of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And so the question is, where is the good life found? Not in the voice of the world. Now, what does that mean? That's kind of like a churchy term, the voice of the world. Like, what is that? It's your godless friends, the voice of your lost family members speaking into your life. It's your preferred political party influencers, athletes, performers, companies, they are all trying to sell you happiness that they can't actually deliver on. But it, it's not just like the, the blatant evils. Like we can look out into the world and we can see this person is calling me to evil. But what about unbiblical advice and lifestyle by godly people? Or, or the most wicked of them all, your own heart. This is the voice of the world. 
that if you buy this, if you believe that, if you vote this way, if you live this lifestyle, you'll finally be happy. This is the path of the wicked. Everyone doing what is most right in their own eyes. And at times it may look innocent, appealing, easy, fun, but make no mistake, it is wicked because it is rebellion against God and his good design. And ultimately, for us church folk, we shouldn't be surprised by that because we read it all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. I mean, this has always been the scheme of the enemy to sell you happiness, to sell you, oh, God is holding out on you. And if you just do this, you'll finally have what you're lacking right now. Isn't that the lie of the enemy, that you lack something in God? Isn't that what he comes to Eve with? He says, yeah, God, I mean, maybe he said that, but, you know, really, if you eat of this fruit, you'll be like him. There is something that he's withholding from you. The question comes down to, after Adam and Eve bit that fruit, Did they achieve their peak level of happiness? Or were they robbed of it? Removed from a perfect garden where they had perfect fellowship with the God who loved them. See, when we listen to the voice of the world, follow its advice, follow its counsel, live like the world instead of the counsel of God, what we're doing is we settle. You're settling. If you are listening to the world and allowing that to be your main source of influence, whether it's your own heart or your political party telling you what's right and wrong, you are settling for far less than God's best. I mean, man's best ain't that great. We don't have a lot to offer this life. And ultimately, we rob ourselves of happiness. You know, we think about happiness in relation to God, how he created us. C.S. Lewis said this, God cannot give us happiness apart from himself because it is not there. It does not exist. You want to know why worldly pursuits leave people empty? You want to know why the counsel of this world, their best advice for how to live this life, leaves us bankrupt of joy? It's because God can't give us a happiness apart from himself because it doesn't exist. It's not even something that he could give you if he wanted to. Happiness is not found in the way of this world, which is broken and busted beyond belief. I mean, this world calls us to a way that may look good. It may look beneficial at the time. It may even make sense in the moment. But it is truly wicked, sinful, and is a mockery, ultimately, of the manner of life that God has called us to for our own good. Listen, for the sake of your own happiness. You ever wonder why God gave you this book? I mean, God cares deeply for your happiness. Why does he give us instructions to live? It's not for his benefit. 
Ultimately, the voice of the world robs us of our own happiness. Which is why I would contend with you this morning, point number one, that the voice of the world is simply not worth your attention. It's not worth lending an ear to because all it will do is rob you. I mean, there are people in your life that you need to stop listening to like yesterday. Like anybody got like crazy Aunt Sally that thinks like divorce is the answer to every problem in your marriage? Got people like that? Like maybe you just sat at the dinner table with them on Christmas and they gave you their best take. I mean, there are people that you need to stop listening to immediately. Why? Because their counsel, their advice, their manner of life is void of the word of God and the spirit of God. And if you listen to them, they're going to draw you down a path you don't want to go. Because look at the movement even in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. He goes from walking, there's movement, to standing, to sitting. Kind of planted there. This is the draw of the world. Ultimately, they, they trap you into being stuck in rebellion against God. Man, there are some of you have ideology and worldview that is void of the word of God and you don't even realize it. Because your favorite motivational speaker or your favorite political candidate said so. And you didn't filter it through the lens of scripture. Some of you, some of you are sitting in the way of the scoffer that scoffs and mocks the good design of God, and you don't even realize it. And that's a scary place to be. See, to me, to allow the world, whether it's a person or a company or an influence or your own heart, to influence and shape you as a person is crazy to me. Is our world going well? How foolish of us to think that it could give us good advice. I mean, we have wars and rumors of war. There is violence. There is hatred. There is bitterness. There are broken marriages and relationships and friendships. I mean, what makes us think that the world could give us anything of net benefit to our lives? And yet we fall into its trap because at the time it seems right. Isn't that what the Bible says? That there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. See, to allow the world to influence and shape our morality or our character or our worldview or our lifestyles, it, we just need to call it what it is. It's evil. It's wicked. It's a mockery to the good design of God. And it's born out of, I don't think malice, out of ignorance. Take this for example. Most of you know my family, my beautiful wife Angelina, and uh, my little my little girl Reagan. She's almost three. And if it were up to Reagan, she would have chips and candy canes for dinner. <laughs> and she always asks, and because it, they're delicious, right? And every night we have to go through the same routine. Yeah, you know, I've noticed that my daughter never asks for like baked chicken. 
or like tortellini or anything like that. Like she wants the candy cane. She sees it on the tree and then she knows it's delicious. So she asks dad, can I have a candy cane? And I say, well, no, I, I'm sorry. You can't have a candy cane. You have to eat what is on your plate. And then comes the sweet little voice. Why? <laughs> That's hard to say no to folks. And I try to explain to her in the simplest way that I can, honey, if you have sugar at eight o'clock, you're never going to bed and you're going to be a terror tomorrow. But she doesn't understand that. But I do. I've seen it. Scary. What's the difference between my daughter and I? Our years. I'm almost 30. She's almost three. Who knows better? Me, usually. I mean, once in a while she has a good point, but. <laughs> so the opinion of the world or the opinion of your own heart on how this life ought to be lived, born out of your double-digit years of life, are like dust on a scale compared to the infinite wisdom of the infinite God. So that is what we don't do. If you want to be happy, do not sit under the counsel of this world. Don't take its advice. It's not good advice. So where is the good life found? In the very next sentence. But his delight, the happy man, his delight is in the law or the instruction, Torah, of the Lord. And on his instruction, he meditates day and night. So where is the good life found? Where is the, oh, the happy man? Where is that person found? It is in glad submission to the instruction of God. You want to be happy? Obey God. That's as simply as I can put it. Glad submission, especially to the Bible. What a countercultural idea right now. Right? Our world, number one, hates the idea of submission. Hates it. Can't have that anywhere. And it hates the Bible. So glad submission to the Bible? That's crazy. It's like you bring up the Bible, and what do you, what do you immediately hear from the world? It's outdated. It was written by a bunch of men who, you know, didn't even have outhouses 2,000 years ago. Why are you listening to this? This is just written to keep you under control. This is meant to be a cage for you. It's oppressive. The psalmist says this is where life is found. So we, we believe as a church that this book that's, would you hold your Bible for a second? Just feel this. What a gift. This book in your hands is the inspired word of the living God for you, that you would know him and that you would have instruction for life, for holiness, that you would know Jesus Christ, the true and living God. This book in your hands right now is breathed out by the spirit of the living God. And it, it is timeless in its application because God is outside of time. So it is always relevant. See, God's word, this book right here, is my constant reminder that he loves us. 
because God didn't just make us and then cut us loose to just figure this thing out. I mean, life is confusing. You kidding me? Relationships are hard. Living in a way that's of net benefit to you and to your family and to your society, that's difficult. Man, can you imagine if we were just left to our own devices? I'll tell you what happens when people are left to their own devices. They feed each other to lions in a coliseum. We, we fall into utter ruin and moral decay. Women and children are not protected or cherished. When you don't want a child, man, back in ancient Rome, they, would just, they wanted sons. So if they had a daughter, they would just throw her onto the streets. When a society, when people abandon the moral law of God, they fall into utter wickedness. Where would we be without this? In a dark place. See, God's word is my constant reminder that he loves us because the creator has given us the instruction manual. He hasn't left us out to dry. God loves us and his book is the proof. Like, don't miss what this is. Take it for granted. We throw it around. We have five of them that we never read. I mean, if, if you could, if you could understand the weight and the gravity of this book that is in your hands, maybe it wouldn't be such a chore to read it. Maybe it wouldn't feel like homework but it would be a delight. See, have you ever thought about reading the Bible as a delight? Usually we think of it as a box on a checklist that we have to get rid of. Gotta gotta do it. It's getting late. I want to watch Netflix. Ah, but I, I know I should read my Bible. It's always thought about like as a chore, like as a got to and not a get to. I don't know how to get there. Maybe you don't know how to get there today. But if you've never thought about the Bible as delight, I want to point you to the psalmists because they certainly did. Let me just give you a few examples. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. Psalm 16.6, The boundaries have fallen for me in pleasant places. You know what the boundaries are? God's guidelines. His yes and his no. Yes, do that. No, don't don't cross that line. And the psalmist doesn't see that as a cage. He says, oh, the boundaries that you have drawn for my life, your yes and your no, they have fallen for me in pleasant places. Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. Psalm 119.103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Y'all, they didn't even have the New Testament. They didn't have Galatians uh, 5, fruit of the Spirit. Didn't have that. They didn't have 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. Man, y'all, they had Leviticus. (laughs) They had genealogies and census in numbers. And and yet, David is sitting awake at night going, "Mm, I can only work my field for six years and then give it rest on the seventh. Oh, that's good. It's like, it's like honey to my mouth. It's so good, right? This is the way that the psalmist viewed the word of God, that it was a delight, not a chore. 
and it's because they realized what it was. You make known to me the path that leads to life. I mean, the psalmist, even the saints of old, they had a far higher regard for Scripture than we do. So the question is, like, how did the psalmist get to delighting in God's word? Or better yet, how do we get there? That's the question. I want to know how I can get to a delight in the law of the Lord. And it's revealed in that verse. His delight is in the law, and on his law he meditates. See, it's, like, it's kind of like one of those infinity loops. He delights, and he meditates. And his meditation leads to further delight. And as he delights, he just wants to meditate on it more. The more you delight, the more you want to meditate. And the more you meditate on the true word of God, the more it becomes a delight. Why does it work that way? Because by meditating on its goodness, he found it to be true. And he found his happiness. Not by wolfing it down. Okay, so this is just a personal thing. This isn't the word of God. This is me. I don't think y'all should be doing a Bible in a year program. Or if you do, you need to supplement it with something else. And here's why. Because you can't meditate on the goodness of eight chapters a day. You just can't. There is too much richness. Right? It's like trying to eat like a big block of fudge. Like it's just not possible. Like there's too much sweetness and richness there. You need to break that down into little pieces. So Bible in a year, it's good for its purpose to get you to read the whole Bible. Okay, it's good for that. But if you're going to do that, supplement it with time to take a short passage and to savor it and to see that it is good. Right? We do Bible in a year, and it's, you might call it a delight until you get to Leviticus. <laughs> and then you're like, man, I just got to get through all this blood and guts and, like, killing animals. And, like, you will never delight in God's word unless you find time to meditate on it. You won't. So there are these two paths. Two paths. Only two. So four. Two. There's two paths. There are two voices calling out to you, the voice of the world and the voice of the Lord. And ultimately, what this passage is going to reveal to us now is that they lead to two entirely different places. So before I read this next part, I just want you to close your eyes. Every eye needs to close right now because I believe that this psalm is not just meant to be heard, it's meant to be seen. And as I read this passage, I just want you to paint the picture in your mind. The blessed man, he is like a tree. Planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. All right, look at me. Isn't that beautiful? Like, isn't that a place like you want to be? 
Like, I want to be, I want to grab a bottle of wine and a book and sit under that tree for a while. Like, that's a beautiful picture, and that's what it's meant to be. It's supposed to pull us into this good life that God has waiting for us through glad submission to his word. I mean, I imagine that when I said picture a tree, you didn't picture a skinny little aspen tree. I imagine you, you pictured an oak with deep roots. They go deep into the, the fertile soil, and it's got these beautiful, crystally blue rivers of water beside it, and this red apple ripe for the picking, and not a single leaf on that tree was brown, I bet. This is a picture of human flourishing. The person who is in glad submission to God's word is planted firmly, a picture of endurance. In trial, in wind, in rain, you endure. You make it through to the other side. Who is by streams of water, a picture of a constant supply of nourishment. Folks, if you're only reading your Bible, when I say open your Bible to Psalm 1 during the week, you are malnourished. Like, how many of you eat one meal a week? And yet we're satisfied with eating one spiritual meal a week. It's not enough. But the person who's in glad submission to God's word, who meditates on it day and night, who sits in bed thinking, oh, the word of God is so good, that person is like someone who has constant nourishment of grace, who produces fruit, a picture of right works and right words at the right time. And its leaf does not wither a picture of longevity and health. See, here's what I think the psalmist is trying to get us to. And here's our our big idea today. I'm sorry, I missed point number two. It's that the word of God is worth your delight. Or is worthy of your delight. Not just your attention. Not just time in the book. Worthy of your delight. Because it's good. And, And ultimately, here's what I think the psalmist is trying to pull us into this morning. Our big idea, life flourishes under God's reign. Where God is hailed as king and his instruction is, we find ourselves in glad submission to it, life flourishes. Now, does that mean life is easy? No, but that's the point of having deep roots, right? A strong trunk planted deep it's to withstand the storm and the rain. Your life will flourish. You will flourish. Your soul will flourish in submission to God's word. See, when submitted to the word of God, humanity itself flourishes. People become like that tree. I mean, marriages flourish. Two people submitted to the word of God? Show me a marriage where a husband sacrificially loves his wife and points her to Jesus. And a wife who humbly submits and I will show you a healthy marriage. Show me a marriage that doesn't have one of those two things or neither, I'll show you a marriage that's bent on ruin. What about with children? Children flourish under the reign and rule of God's word. Man, I've met a lot of busted up kids working at a group home with absent or abusive fathers, with with moms who are alcoholics or drug addicts, And those kids come out broken, traumatized, like given a bad hand of cards. And and yet a family who is submitted to the word of God, who is not domineering, who is not forceful, but, but grace 
and truth with their kids. A home that provides love, comfort, and discipline. I will show you a healthy child who is not traumatized by the way he was raised. I mean, finances. Anybody got, like, you're at the end of the year and you're like, whoa, didn't know my bank account was that low. My credit, my, my credit card debt is just through the roof. Man, if we took the word of God seriously and submitted it gladly, our finances gladly to the word of God and his reign and rule, man, your finances would flourish. I mean, in society, when God's word is adhered to, loved, man, women and children are honored and protected. Men step into their God-given roles to build and protect. I mean, societies flourish under the reign of God. And this is ultimately what he's pulling us into this morning. And I don't want you to miss this. This passage is not meant to be this scary forcing into white-knuckled obedience to God's word. Because the next part of the passage, it talks about how the wicked are like chaff in the wind. There's a judgment that lies ahead. But it's not meant to scare us into submission. It's trying to pull us in. See, this, this passage is it's supposed to be like salt in your mouth. Like, it should, should make you thirsty for this. Like, when you painted that picture in your mind, didn't it pull you in? Like, you just wanted to be there for a minute? That's what this passage is meant to do. Not provoke us to white-knuckled obedience, but to reveal the beauty of a life gladly submitted to his instruction, living fully within the boundaries that he has set. And then we have the contrast. Godly man who... A godly person who, who submits his life gladly to the instruction of God. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. And then he goes on to say, and they won't be able to stand in the judgment, which literally means won't be able to lift their head in the judgment. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this part because the psalmist really doesn't. Right? It's like you get this beautiful description of a tree with the person submitted to God's word. And then it's like the wicked, oh, they're like chaff. Don't even worry about it. Here's what I will say. Chaff was the wasted part of the wheat. They would throw it up in the air. The wheat would come down. Chaff gets carried away by the wind. So here's what I would say if, if you are living a life that's not submitted to God's word. By choosing to live in submission to, God, in, in submission to the voice of the world, you are wasting your life and you are setting yourself up for a bleak future appointment before the throne of God what it says don't waste your life man if and the reason people choose the voice of the world over the voice of god is they because they believe that any type of boundary around their life right don't get drunk sleep with one person within the confines of marriage you you are who god says you are like the reason we buck at that is because we think it's an unfair boundary that's meant to rob us of joy or happiness. Again, it goes back to the lie of the enemy. And here's what I've heard more times than I can count, is that the Bible is just a trap. It's a jail cell. I mean, God's just trying to shove as many people into this jail cell as he can who will blindly agree to go inside and lock the door and be inside in this little pity party of holy people while the rest of us party about and have fun. Isn't that the lie? Isn't that what people say? That the Bible, oh, it's just a jail cell. It's just trying to keep you within. It's trying to keep you from your fun. Oh, you can't do that. That's crazy. I could never live life like that. 
Man, if we could only understand what God is trying to do here. Can I tell you a truth? God is for your happiness, not against it. And the Bible is not a jail cell. It is a guardrail that keeps us on the path towards life. You know why God says do this and don't do this? It's not to put you in a cage. It's to just keep you on the road. Man, I can't tell you how many people I've seen who have ruined their lives because they hopped the guardrail. God is for your happiness. He is for your joy. He is for your flourishing as a human being. And it's only found on one of the two paths. It's found in glad submission to his word. When I was in college, as we wrap up here, I was introduced to a concept called no-be-do. Everybody say no-be-do. No-be-do, okay. So the principle is this, that what you know contributes to what you are, and what you are contributes to what you do. No-be-do. What you know is who you are, who you are is what you do. And it's revealed that way too. Let me urge you, my, my brothers and sisters in Christ, you are called to a glad submission to God's law and instruction found only in Scripture. You will never do, you'll never live the Bible if you do not deeply and intimately know it. And you will never know the depth of its beauty or experience the good life unless you make meditation upon it central to your life. Like you, will, you will never become a person in glad submission uh, unless you begin to read it and meditate on it and see the beauty that's inside of it. And, and so I want to close out this morning by urging you, pleading with you, if the Bible has not if the Bible has been a checkbox for you to do on a daily basis, and it's a task, I would plead with you that you make it so central to your life that it's like the meals that you eat during the day. Because that is where the good life is found. And if you were to find to be able to do that, to not just read God's word, but to delight in it. My prayer is that we would be able to say of you, oh, how happy is that person? That's my prayer for you. And so a few next steps to take, they're on your connection card. To attend the next four weeks, to memorize our anchor verse, but also to meditate. So whatever Bible plan you, just, you land on, or if you just read whatever you want, make this a part of your week to meditate specifically on Psalm 16, which means read it and chew on it before you move on. This is what it says. This is what it means. How do I apply it? What, is it, what does it mean for my soul? Ask those questions. And lastly, I want to urge you to make scripture central to your 2024. Not just a box to check, but, but the sun by which we revolve around. 
I want our church to be a church full of people who see God's word like honey, who, who lay in bed at night thinking, I can't wait to get up and read my devotions tomorrow morning with my cup of coffee. That's what I want our church to be. People who do not just read the word, but love the word and breathe the word and sleep the word, the word being all-encompassing in our lives. And I can guarantee you, we will be a very happy church because that's what it leads to. You know, Christians, there was a study that was done that says Christians who read their Bibles four to seven days per week have less inclination towards alcoholism, depression, anxiety, and adultery, and just a slew of other things. That same study showed that, quote, there is no statistical difference between Christians who read or listen to the Bible two or three days a week and those who do not engage with Scripture at all. If you're in your word less than half of the week, there is no statistical difference between you and someone who never reads the Bible in terms of your happiness, personal fulfillment. So my suggestion to you this morning is to get a Bible reading plan that is not Bible in a year, or if you do, find one to supplement it. Find one that allows you to meditate like drinking water slowly from a glass and not from a fire hose. That's what I encourage you to this year. And then if you do not know Jesus, of course, we want you to take a first step. It's to follow him, to make that decision. If you haven't made that decision, here's what Jesus says. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and life abundantly. God isn't here to steal your joy, take your happiness, keep you from things that will make you happy. He's here to provide it because he's the only one that can. So let me pray for you. Father, I thank you. It's in the sweet name of Jesus that we come to you. Thank you for your word, this beautiful gift that leads us to life. I pray that we would not miss the significance of this book that you have spoken to us, that you, the creator God, who created the smallest microcosm and the most vast expanses of the universe, you have spoken and you have given us your instructions for life. I pray that we would find ourselves in glad submission to it, knowing that your ways are better and your ways are higher than whatever the world can offer us. I pray that we would make this decision, that we would resolve today uh, on the precipice of 2024 to meditate on your word and delight in it so that we can meditate on it and delight in it. And that people would say of us, oh, how happy are those people. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' most beautiful and precious name we pray. Amen.